Is climate change making us lose sleep? And is China actually set to beat its emissions peak target? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Beckensphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Monday, May 23rd. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some climate studies. Climate change caused people to lose 44 hours of sleep a year since 2010, according to a new study published in the journal One Earth. That's about 11 nights of short sleep per year. The study attached sleep trackers over a two-year period to more than 47,000 people in 68 countries and compared how each person slept with the weather information in the area during the time. They found that on hot nights, people fell asleep later, woke up earlier, and slept less during the night. When it was more than 86 degrees Fahrenheit or 30 degrees Celsius, people slept an average of 14 minutes less than usual. The impact of heat was felt more in older people and women of all ages, and people living in lower-income countries were three times as impacted as people from higher-income countries, which might have to do with less access to air conditioning, further fueling inequality. Meanwhile, climate change is killing trees, which is a big method of keeping carbon out of the atmosphere. In fact, it's killing so many trees that climate scientists are starting to rethink how much carbon-sucking ability they should be estimating for forests in their models. Without considering an increasing death rate, the world's trees suck up 20-25% to of man-made CO2, but this amount might decrease as climate change kills more trees. A recent example of how it's drastically killing trees is in a recent study published in Nature, which looks at increased tropical tree mortality in Queensland, Australia, between 1984 and 2019. Tree mortality in that area has on average doubled over the last 35 years, which the study linked to a decrease in vapor pressure, which dictates how quickly air robs plants of moisture. Another study published this month, this time in the Ecology Letters, looked at future climate risks from stress, insects, and wildfire across U.S. forests. According to that research, wildfire risk is projected to increase by a factor of four in a medium emission scenario, while drought and insect risks are projected to increase by 50 to 80 percent. Now, some species of trees might be more resistant to climate change than others, but overall, the global tree population is suffering. However, if old-growth trees were better protected and trees were able to grow older, research suggests they grow faster later in life and will suck up more carbon as they get older. The policy challenge in this is defining what an old-growth tree is, which varies between species and conditions. There is more on the dispute in the U.S. around this topic right now in a recent AP article, which I linked in my source list in the description. Speaking of the U.S., a new study out of the American Medical Association found that from 2008 to 2017, each additional extreme heat day per month was linked to seven additional deaths for every 10 million adults. While extreme heat is increasing mortality across the board, older adults, men, and black individuals were most impacted. This could be due to a combination of factors, including access to healthcare, residents in areas at more risk of extreme heat, line of work, and other underlying health conditions. Wow, we need some climate victories after those studies. 
This first news point is a pretty big deal. China is set to significantly overachieve its 2030 climate goals, with the Climate Action Tracker predicting them to hit their carbon emissions peak by 2025 rather than 2030. This is despite China's current push to boost domestic fossil fuel production and increase its imports of Russian oil and gas right now. The tracker recognizes the short-term fossil fuel doubling down, but still predicts China's peak will trend early. All this being said, China's trajectory is still not ambitious enough. The climate action tracker researchers noted that if every country had an equal level of ambition as China, we would reach three degrees Celsius of warming. I spoke a bit about New Zealand's new climate action plan on the May 18th episode, but I'm going to sprinkle in a little more about the plan as I learn about it. The plan includes a pilot clean car upgrade program in which low and middle income households can trade in their gas powered car and get money to help them buy an electric or hybrid vehicle. The goal is to reach 30% of zero emissions vehicles on the road by 2035. Meanwhile, New Zealand will also invest in green public transportation, more walkable spaces, and bike paths to reduce total kilometers of lightweight vehicle travel by 20% by 2035. These methods, in conjunction, are really the most effective way to decrease transportation emissions while reducing traffic, air pollution, and transportation related costs for the public. Speaking of a climate plan I've already touched on, but will continue to elaborate on, let's talk about the European Union's Repower EU, which was officially released at the end of last week. I already covered some of the things it would include, which you can hear about on May 12th's episode. One thing it includes is potentially requiring all new buildings to have rooftop solar. This will help European countries move away from Russian fossil fuels and help them reach their goal of getting 50% of their electricity from clean energy sources by the end of the decade. It would also save countries money and help reduce energy bills for consumers. In an update to a developing story I started covering on May 17th, 21 state attorney generals in the U.S. have filed a motion to intervene in a recent lawsuit against California's ability to manage its own vehicle emission standards. Last week, 17 states, all Republican, filed a lawsuit against the Environmental Protection Agency for allowing California to regulate its own vehicle emission standards, something it's done since the Clean Air Act was signed in 1963. California was already given this right because its emission standards were already stricter than the federal regulations. The U.S. allows other states to follow Californian standards as long as they stay stricter than the federal rules. The states that follow California's lead are pretty much the same ones that are trying to counter this lawsuit. They are Colorado, Connecticut, D.C., Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington. New York City and Los Angeles have also joined the motion. I'll keep you posted on how this goes. Meanwhile, Connecticut moved to require climate change to be taught in schools by July 2023. This wasn't too controversial because 90% of schools were already teaching about climate change due to a years long effort. Grades 5, 8, and 11 are tested on climate change, and Connecticut is one of the 22 states, along with DC, that have adopted the next generation science standards, which includes climate change in its curriculum. But this new rule will help get the last 10% of schools with the program. 
Now for a climate fail. In the U.S., the North American Electric Reliability Corps just released an assessment of the power outage future risk, and it doesn't look good. Extreme heat, wildfires, and extended drought are exacerbating the system, and an insufficient effort to prepare for an influx of clean energy isn't helping, though the Corps director clarified that this should not be a reason to back away from the clean energy transition. The central Midwest faces capacity shortages, quote, resulting in a high risk of energy emergencies during peak summer conditions. Texas will likely face a combination of extreme peak demand, low wind, and high outage rates from thermal generators like it saw last summer. California and other western states that rely on hydropower will be short of that form of electricity due to drought, and drought conditions in the Missouri River Basin could result in fossil fuel and nuclear plants not having enough access to water to cool down their systems. This and I haven't even mentioned wildfires and the upcoming bad Atlantic hurricane season. Overall, this will likely be a pivotal summer for showing the failure of our current grid system, and how the political parties respond to it will dictate whether we will be able to reach Biden's goal of a 100% clean energy sector by 2035, which is needed to keep warming below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. Let's finish off with a carbon capture update. The U.S. Department of Energy started launching its $3.5 billion program to establish America's direct carbon dioxide removal industry by submitting a notice of intent to developers of four carbon capture hubs, letting them know that money is coming their way. Each hub will be designed to take up 1 million tons of CO2 equivalent, which is about equivalent to taking 20,000 gas-powered cars off the road. That would make each hub bigger than the largest one in the world, which is Climeworks Hub in Iceland. And that was your climate news for Monday, May 23rd. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Bexphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.